Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Today's guest is a U18 bronze medalist on the beach. She won at 18U Indoor Nationals, which explains why she went on to play beach and indoor at St. Mary's College in, she's going to have to clarify, Moraga, California. We'll clarify that in a second. Uh, she's currently on our senior A squad with the women's indoor national team and just played pro in Hungary for her first year professionally. So please welcome to the show, Sarah Chase. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So let's cover the groundwork first. When did you start playing volleyball? And were you always going back and forth between beach and indoor? Because it's it's common, I think, for athletes to be really good at at the younger ages, but eventually people seem to pick and focus on one. Yeah, well, I started playing volleyball pretty young because my mom uh, played volleyball at university and was a coach here in my hometown. So I was kind of always lingering around the gym, but I started playing volleyball in like grade five. And then for beach and indoor, I've mostly played indoor just because there wasn't a huge beach scene in my hometown. And then in like middle school, a few of uh, kids in my town and in surrounding towns would drive like an hour and a half to a beach club in Nanaimo, British Columbia. So that's kind of how I kind of got into beach. So for you to win an 18U national championship, that was obviously an impressive year. I was just talking to a couple of the Leaside girls because I was coaching a boys team at Leaside that year, but familiar with the girls program. And they had Tori Gorell and Gabby Machikowski and all these girls who went on to play post-secondary. And it was kind of neat going to the venue and seeing how good dinos were that year and seeing this BCO team that I wasn't that familiar with, but seeing a lot of very good players. So how did that team kind of come together? Because it was, it was very special, a lot of talented players were you guys together your whole club career, or was it bits and pieces uh, from different clubs over the years? Yeah, we had a great season that year. Um, we were kind of a mashup of a few lower mainland regions. Um, a lot of girls were from North Vancouver because that's where our club was based out of. And I came over from the island uh, to play on the team just because it was such a great group of girls and practices were all high level and that translated to great success on the court for us that year so what was your recruiting process like i think uh ncaa beach was either we, we can call it new or it was definitely in the beginning phase when you would have left 18u so was beach something you were looking for or you wanted to play both like how did the the process come together and what made you want to leave uh, i guess canada in general to try the ncaa route i think i always knew i wanted to go to the ncaa like we had for some reason we had the big 10 network on our cable package and I remember just watching all of those matches religiously when I was younger and it looked like so much fun to play in the States. Um, so I knew that was always something I wanted to do and uh, playing both beach and indoor at St. Mary's was just a huge plus because um, volleyball, as you probably agree, is the best sport ever <laughs> and the more you can play, uh, the more fun you have. Um, yeah, that was kind of a big draw for me to go to St. Mary's. Nice. And what is the recruiting process when you choose to play both? Like, I, I might just not know enough about it, but was the same coach on the indoor and beach staff, or are you being recruited by two coaches, essentially? For me, it was basically the same staff did both indoor and beach, and then would usually bring in another uh, assistant coach who was more, I don't know, well-versed in beach volleyball. So we had Patty Dodd. She's pretty big legend in SoCal, um, and then Angela Rock, she was ABB player, um, just to help out with our beach team, which was lovely, and I learned so much from them. But I think 
nowadays, uh, beach programs and indoor programs at the same schools are pretty separate. And I think some coaches of those two programs butt heads a little bit because there's definitely a lot you can take from a spring season and indoor that you might miss if you play on the beach team. But um, I was lucky just to be able to play both, and it was really fun. Yeah, share your schedule with us because I think most beach players now that it's it, it might be a little bit more established. I know you haven't left school for that long, but it seems like there there's more scholarship opportunities and more people playing just beach now. So, how did you manage both schedules? Um, like, when did one end and when did the other start? And like you said, you still have spring responsibilities for indoor. So, were you just exempt from that because you're on the beach team? Uh, no, uh, in the spring uh, we kind of doubled up on beach and indoor. There's definitely, um, the NCAA has a lot of rules regarding hours of how many you can give to indoor in the spring season. So as an example of a schedule, would be August, you would do preseason for indoor. Um, then you go through your whole season through the fall and winter up until December. And then January, you do kind of preseason training for beach. And then you go until April with your season for beach and then sprinkled in your beach season, we might have like three hours of indoor practice scattered throughout the week. Um, and then af- immediately after beach season is over, you could do your spring indoor season. So you could go play a few tournaments in the area. So it was a lot of volleyball, but so fun to have the opportunity to switch it up and get out of the gym um, for a while and enjoy the sunshine. Would your uh, BC team go to the U.S. a lot? Is that how you were identified, or was it through Beach? Like, which one kind of got the the most attention from St. Mary's? Like, were they recruiting you for indoor, and then, surprise, you're also a high-level Beach player? Or how did it all come together for you? For me, the teams that I played on didn't necessarily go to the States a lot. Um, it, I took a lot of, uh, of the recruiting process into my own hands, basically spammed all of the coaches I wanted to play for, um, with emails of uh, tournaments I would be at or video, um, and then hoping that some of them would like me. That was kind of how I went through the recruiting process and then kept up some communication with schools. And, uh, yeah, that's how I landed at St. Mary's. And were you considering any other schools, or did you do any other visits when you were deciding where to go? Um, I did a few visits in the Bay Area, kind of did a whole sweep there um, when I went to visit St. Mary's. And then I went on a few in Canada to kind of check out the scene up here. Nice. So you mentioned as a kid, you were lucky to have like the, the network and watch some NCAA stuff. So that was a nice goal to have. Was the national team on your radar? Like as a young athlete growing up, did you know you wanted to play for Canada someday? I think I knew I wanted to play for Canada maybe starting out of high school after uh, we won nationals in 2015, I was invited to the B te- or the national team tryout in Winnipeg. And I made the B team with one of my BCO teammates. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, wow, I can do this. Um, training at this level is so much fun and so rewarding. And after that, I was kind of hooked and was really stoked to make the national team when it moved to Richmond. Our show loves a good name drop. Who was your BCO teammate? Was it the setter who also made the national team that year? Yeah, Shay Harris. She's a rock star. (laughs) Nice. So did you feel like a peer right away or were you starstruck by any of the players around? Like it's 
a big deal for anyone to make the national team, but as an 18 new player to technically make it, what do you remember about that experience? I was definitely starstruck. Um, I remember uh, we were doing a passing drill and I was paired with like Brittany Page and she was the captain of the national team at the time. And we were just out there passing and she like turns to me and she's like, you know what? You should just keep passing exactly as you are because that's going to take you far. And I've always remembered that. <laughs> nice. So with you being a BC athlete, did you look up to a lot of them? Because I think in that era, a lot of the UBC girls were making the national team with based on their success and long history of uh, CIS or U Sports Championship. There was a, a lot of uh, BC athletes on the team. Were you aware of them when you got to the tryout? Yeah, that was, uh, I definitely saw Shanice and Kyla as big uh, role models. And it was really fun to scrimmage against them. And uh practice with them as like a peer that was kind of crazy in my little 18 year old 17 year old mind so were you on a team that trained in winnipeg for one year or did you get on the squad and that's when it moved to richmond i'm trying to figure out the timeline here yeah well that so i made the the b team at the time and it was only like a month and a half of trading basically just helping the a team players train for their tournaments in the summer um, but it was over pretty quick. And then I uh, that's when I started at St. Mary's afterwards. And I did a um, summer of summer school. And then the team moved to Richmond. And then I tried out again. And I've been on the team ever since. Nice. And how did the, the coaching change affect you in any way? Like, did it help with uh, Tom Black coming in as a coach because of his NCAA background? Like, did you guys ever compete or were you aware of each other or did you just have to try out fresh again when the change happened? I kind of knew who Tom Black was because he coached at LMU, which was in our conference. So I played against his team freshman year. And then my St. Mary's coach, Rob Browning and Tom coached together for USA volleyball. So I kind of knew of him before trying out, but I was still in school during the tryout when he became the head coach. So I came up for like one day had kind of a frantic day, one day tryout, and then uh, he invited me back after that day. <laughs> nice, nice. And um, I, I do have one quote I want to pull from one of your teammates. I asked a friend of the show, Brie King was just on, and I, I messaged her saying we were trying to get you on the show, like, what should I ask you? And the first thing she answered back is she said, every kid should work like Sarah has. She's a huge inspiration. What has your time with the national team been like? It sounds like you guys have a great culture and a great thing going on with the youth movement right now. Oh, that's, that's really nice of her to say that. <laughs> I love Brie. I don't know. Like, everyone who's on the national team works incredibly hard. None of us would be where we are today without that mindset. I think that just comes naturally uh, to everyone who's there. For me, I think I've stuck around or they've kept me around just because, like, my mindset is, like, I would say it's like think win-win where if I'm trying my best in practice to beat the other side up, um, they're going to get better. And when they get better, I'm going to get better. And it kind of just builds from there. And so even if I'm like not starting on the court or I'm on the bench or a sub, like everything I can do in practice to make the starters better is like a reflection of how hard I'm working and if everyone does that on the team, it, we just continually improve every day. And 
So we just got to keep working hard and pushing each other. <laughs> nice, nice. And what can you tell us about what uh, Tom has brought to the program? And and the reason I asked that is uh, Autumn Bailey was on our show and she talked about his first few weeks or months with the program. It was it was fun and everybody's learning and it's exciting. But she also mentioned it was a little bit frustrating because you're like you're learning skills almost for what feels like the first time, even though you guys are professional players that. They're just a new way of doing things, and he's a big growth mindset guy, right? So how did that culture change kind of affect you in practice? Like, were you ever frustrated, or was it all new and exciting and challenging for you? I think if you're not frustrated at practice, you're not changing enough. Um, <laughs> something you have to deal with. For me, the the system and the skills, it's basically like if you're familiar with the gold medal squared organization in the States, it's kind of what USA Volleyball does. I was pretty familiar with that through my university. And uh, so I, I had been working in that kind of system for four years before Tom came. So I had kind of an easier transition into that whole situation. Is there anything off the top of your head that would be different? Like, I, it's a great organization. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of it. But is there something that stands out that maybe was a, a traditional Canadian way to train that is different from what uh, Gold Medal Squared or what the national team's doing now? Like, what would you have a head start on that you were already a little bit more comfortable that maybe uh, a U Sports left side was treating as new information? One thing that I think Tom really emphasized early on was uh, serving and service pressure and he made a lot of people change their serves, so that could be frustrating for a lot of people. He really emphasized uh, we need to serve flat with no spin to space, and like serving, as you know, is a really ingrained motor program when you get to be you know in your twenties. You've served a million balls, um, and that's really hard to change. But it was a big step for us as a program, just having constant service pressure and. I know, like, if you look at Emily Maglio's serve now, it's awesome. Shina really made big steps in her serve. And all of those little touches really add up over time to help us win. So that's interesting about the technique of the serve that you guys talked about. Um, How did you guys apply that tactically? Uh, Because Tom and some other U.S. players that have been on the squad when he was there mentioned that that wasn't a very big program on, like, missing serves. That wasn't something they were going to talk about in timeouts and things like that. So did you guys kind of get the green light to go for it from the service line as a program? Or where does the, the women's national team stand on that? I think what's important with serving is just they would encourage us to go back and hit our serve. So becoming super confident in your ability to hit uh, what we call like a fade serve where it kind of bottoms out early or like drive it deep cross court or drive it down the line, Um, building up that confidence in practice so that when you're in the game, they can say, Hey, we're serving, you know, X player. Here's what you're going to do. Go back and hit your serve. You've done it a million times in practice, go play free. And that's a really awesome way to approach serving i think nice and i think anyone who's who's keeping up with volleyball media right now i think flow state or play free and those things are are talked about a lot i was wondering if there's a way that you could explain how you've developed those whether it's it's like you mentioned having the the tactics with your team on on serving that way or do you keep a journal or how do you stay present and kind of accomplish these things because i think those have become buzzwords but i haven't heard them actually defined very well or explained how you can acquire those skills that's a great question. I think it's probably different for everyone. For me, being out on the court, just making sure to breathe is important. Um, 
and understanding the flow and momentum of the game. So like if you're, you know, losing a few points in a row, just like taking your time to reset and connect with your teammates is important. And I think knowing the beach game is nice for that because beach is a whole game of momentum and like, you know, get some sand off your leg when things are going bad, but when things are going well, you know, get back on the service line and go for it. So for me, yeah, breathing, uh, connecting with your teammates and controlling the pace of the game are things that help me get in the zone. Nice. And how has the, the national team experience changed for you over the years where you mentioned uh, your first year you're on the B team, but that was really what felt like a month where this year it was exciting, where I believe at one point A was there, B was there, and I think Fisu was even at Richmond for a, a certain period in the summer. So what was it like seeing the program grow that big where it, it's almost matching what the men have done, where I, when we had Bree on the show, it feels like we're, we're getting closer to what Glenn and the men's program have built, where we're probably just a cycle behind where they are. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome just having such a large group of Canada's best volleyball players all in one place and getting to know new people. I think that's one of the best things about volleyball is the community that it fosters and making those new connections and seeing, especially like the younger players, like some of the, we had some high school players come out and join us and they were awesome. And it's just fun to see where volleyball Canada is now and where it can go with especially like the new group of people and, and sorry to put you on the spot with this one but I'm interested to hear from a player perspective how does the mood or culture change at all or, or if does it uh, when rosters are announced like with the amount of tournaments that the women's team played in the summer when you're not on a certain list does that affect training at all or is everybody pretty professional in the way they carry themselves whether they're going to a certain event or not I think Overall, it doesn't change that much. I know maybe when you have a roster out and you're like, okay, this roster is going to train at this time and everyone else is going to train maybe with the B team. Being on a roster practice, there might be a little more focus or like intensity, just kind of building up for the tournament. And then I've also been on the other side of that where, you know, outside looking in, the team's going to, you know, Peru or something and you're away from the team. And I don't think it changes that much. Um, you can bring energy and, you know, a different perspective to like the B team um, and bring up the level there. So I don't know. It doesn't change too much overall, though. Nice. And does it ever get old? Like when you were at Pan Am Games and you were named to that roster, like do you still get as excited as you were when you when you first made the squad? Yeah, pretty much always. Um, <laughs> It's really exciting to go to tournaments and represent Canada um, and just any opportunity you have to play volleyball. It's just a good day. And nice. What was Pan Am Games like for you, like with the multi-sport uh, games and opening ceremonies and all that good stuff? What was it like experiencing that level? Uh, that was a super cool experience. Um, one of my favorite parts of it was just going to the dining hall and uh, seeing all of these athletes from North and South America and knowing that they're the best in their sport and their country and just like the level of focus you can you know see usa players with their headphones on like oh they're about to go you know swim in the pool or um some karate athletes getting their pre-game meal so that was a fun experience to observe a great place to people watch <laughs> 
So with all the people watching you, did, do certain athletes kind of flip the switch? Like, did you find that people are trying to focus like the whole time they're there or were people pretty good about like, I have a game tomorrow, but today I'm going to be chill and maybe socialize and talk to other athletes. Like, is there any, did you speak to any other athletes from team Canada or maybe other countries when you're in these uh, social situations, either at dinner or something else? Yeah, there's, you can definitely tell when someone's, you know, kind of in themselves preparing for a game and whether, you know, a team was just having a good time laughing over at the dining table. It was pretty easy to go talk to people because they give you like these pins to go trade and, so you go walk up to like the Bahamas national team and you're like, Hey, you want to trade a pin? What sport are you in? And it's a good camaraderie with all the athletes there. As the summer kind of progressed, were you feeling like you were ready to go play pro? Like was the national team such a good experience or like at what point did you know you had committed to your club and your agent had confirmed everything? Like what goes into, I guess for you leaving the NCAA being a national team athlete and then going overseas to play professionally? Yeah, I, Signed, I think, after beach season was done uh, at university. So it felt pretty locked in to go play pro. Um, so that was a nice weight lifted off my shoulders. I didn't have to think much about that during national team season. But I, I mean, obviously, it's an unpredictable circumstance when you, you know, move to Europe and everything's new. But I was lucky with being on the national team for three years, hearing just crazy stories of uh, different professional teams and what to expect and a lot of horror stories too. So my expectations uh, were pretty low and open to whatever was going to happen. And I think that was a helpful perspective to enter the pro life with. Did you have a chance to speak to anybody who had played in Hungary before? Actually, Jen Cross played with this club. I don't know how many years ago, but I asked her about it and she said it was a good club. So I was like, all right, I'll go. And I talked to uh, an American who played there the year before. So I kind of had a little bit of a, a view into the team and the club. Nice. And this question comes up a lot just because I, I don't follow club as much as I should. So in Hungary, what is the foreigner rule? Were you the only Canadian there? Were you the only like non-local there? Like, How did the roster split up? Um, the rule in Hungary is that you have to have two Hungarians on the court at all times. So actually the first game I played in, our coach accidentally messed that up. We lost the game, but we if the other team had... Uh, like flag that we would have just lost three zero twenty five zero twenty five zero twenty five zero. Just by so protesting when they notice it, or is it after the game? Like when do they they call foul on that? You know, I'm not sure because the other team didn't do it. Oh, okay. but I think they probably could have done it after the game um, or during the game. So I don't know what the protocol is there. Was there anything culturally different? Like did did you? I don't know, are you a picky eater? Like, were you used to all the little things that come to being a pro? Because what we're learning with the show is the volleyball kind of takes care of itself and everybody's confident there. It's kind of the lifestyle that might become a distraction for certain players. <laughs> you know, for me, I'm a, a pretty easygoing person. So it wasn't too big of a deal to go to a new country and play volleyball. I think there was a little bit of a language barrier with some of my teammates, and that was hard. but. I got good at uh, some charades a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what else? One thing with pro that 
I wasn't as prepared for was like the coaches aren't as hands-on, at least in my experience. Like on the national team, you get a lot of feedback with, you know, you shank a ball. Oh, hey, here's what you can do next time. It was kind of, you just had to figure it out yourself and perform at a high level every night. Nice. And it sounded like you had the contract pretty early, right? Like you said, you you had it when beach season ended. With NCAA, how how much do they monitor women's volleyball and when you're hiring an agent and all that? And, and the reason I ask is you hear about, oh, this, this athlete declared for the NFL draft, so now they lose all eligibility, they can hire an agent, but there's no going back, right? So how tight were they on your process that you're like, I want to go play pro volleyball, but I, I don't feel like I can talk to anybody? <laughs> yeah, um, my coaches at university always kind of poked fun at me because I knew all the NCAA rules um, and followed them pretty closely. But no one really checked in on my end of it, like to see if I was, you know, breaking the rules. I don't know how that process works. <laughs> um, but I know when my maybe second year on the national team, Marcello was like, oh, I have an agent for you to go get a contract. And I was like, whoa, 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 I can't talk to him. I'm in the NCAA. I'll lose all of my eligibility. So I think I was more self-monitoring the whole rule breaking on that front oh shoot i forgot uh did you have three coaches with the national team like were you there with lupo uh marcello and tom technically yes my time with the b team lupo was there and then when they left uh scott koski came in he was awesome and then yeah i was with marcello and then tom as well Oh, awesome. We don't talk a lot about Marcello uh, on the show just because his name hasn't come up with the, the few players we've spoke to. Is there anything that stands out in your mind that he was able to bring to the program? I remember when we went to our first tournament, or we were on our way to Peru, and we played a, a friendly match in Anaheim with Team USA, and we had a meeting in a hotel about kind of the mindset of Canadian volleyball, and uh, it was... What I took away from that meeting, there was a lot, but um, was that we just kind of needed to believe in ourselves a little bit more and convince the country to believe in us because, you know, we had the ability to play at a high level, but just based on like the history of the women's side with the national team, there hadn't been a lot of success and maybe that was weighing on us a little bit. So that was like a positive thing I took out of Marcello's time was just to like believe in ourselves and convince the world that we're awesome too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a tough thing to get buy-in for. Like when Steve Anderson took over the Beach National Team program, one of his first speeches I remember was talking about when Hockey Canada gets off the flight, like whether it's men's or women's, they're thinking about winning the tournament. Where on the beach, we definitely didn't have the attitude that when we arrive at a tournament, we were going to win. And it doesn't sound like the women's indoor team had that attitude or mindset either. So at what point does that come together? Like did you... Did you need evidence that you guys were good and then therefore you, you deserved it? Or did you kind of have to have that confidence that he was demanding before the results started to come? Good question. I, I think obviously confidence can come from that earning success and seeing your work pay off with medals and stuff. But a lot of it is just kind of convincing yourself beforehand um, so you can perform at that high level. It builds on each other. So if you have confidence, maybe you play better, maybe you um, win a medal, and then that gives you more confidence. So maybe it's a loop. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem like an easy answer. That's why we ask everybody hoping that they know better than we do. So. <laughs> awesome. So with your career being indoor and beach at the NCAA level, was beach ever an option for you? Or did you decide that indoor was the route because you had already been a part of the national team since your your 18U offseason, I guess? Yeah, I I think indoor always seemed like the, the route for me because of that little stint in the summer of 2015 with B-Team. I always had a lot of fun playing beach uh, in the NCAA. I learned a lot, and I think I got a lot better over my three years of playing beach there. But I, I never seriously considered playing beach for the Canadian national team just because it was kind of far away, and I haven't really been involved too much in the Canadian beach scene. Yeah, just was never on my radar. Nice, nice. I, I'm glad you answered it that way, and I'm not regretting that we didn't identify you early enough, and that's why you're not on the beach, because it feels like between you and Emily Maglio, there's there's a few players who could definitely play both at a high level. I'm just interested why one always chooses one over the other, but that, that's a good answer. I'll give you that. Yes. So, Sarah, we've been lucky on the show to have some high-level players like yourself, but usually it's the setters who get the most shine and can go into a big rabbit hole about how tactical the sport can be and what they enjoy about it, where... We haven't been able to really nerd out with the left side before, so I was wondering if you could go into detail about everything that goes into serve receive because it's it's got to be a lot harder than just getting reps in practice. So when you're preparing for either a national team game or a pro game, what are some things that go into it, whether it be the reps of practice, video, uh, calling seams in the game? Like What goes into being a, an international high-level receiver? For me, uh, I mean, obviously you do a lot of reps in practice, some keys that have been reiterated from uh, Tom and my university coaches of just keeping everything simple and quiet. Uh, there's a lot of extra movements you can do when you're younger because um, the serves aren't as fast and they're not moving as much. But when you get to like a international level, if there's any like excess movement, false steps, like from when they contact the ball, you're going to be in a bad situation and, that's just going to lead you to shank the pass. So definitely keeping things simple and uh, relying on your platform because the ball knows angles. So if you get it in the right spot, have a good read on the ball, you're going to have a lot of success. Um, And then we also do a lot of video uh, before our matches, um, just checking out servers and their tendencies. What's their strong serve? What do they do in, you know, this rotation And that's really helpful just to have kind of a jump on what ball to expect. And then one thing this year, for sure, Tom has reiterated was that all of the passers, you're working together, you're out there trying to execute a good pass and say someone serves to position five, it's just as important if you're in position one to help them out. And that was really evident in our match, uh, the Olympic qualifier against Russia, because like the the crowd was so noisy and wild you had to basically scream if the ball was in or out to the position five if you're in one and you just have to stay connected as three passers to really find your groove in a match or reset after a bad pass so i think yeah connecting as a back row or you know your passing formation is super important for all levels i guess Awesome. Awesome. And how important is your footwork when you do get served as a left side to like swing outside and still be able to hit like a tempo or have some options on it? Because I think that's one of the more obvious tactics in our sport where if there's a special left side on there, we can challenge them to maybe slow down their approach by just serving and targeting them. 
I think you could ask any volleyball player. Footwork is everything. If you want to, you know, be on time, be efficient, um, and get a lot of sets. And especially this year, we were trying to uh, increase the tempo of our offense. So you really had to be efficient if you wanted to get in a good position to hit after you pass. So yeah, like I said, with service just eliminating kind of excess movements, like do your three-step shuffle to pass if you need to move inside or move backwards. And then as soon as you make that awesome three pass, you know, taking as few steps as possible to get yourself into rhythm to go hit a, a go ball, as we would call them. Now, have you done a lot of work on out-of-system hitting? We just had uh, Dre Foreman from the from the men's team. He was with the senior B team. And as a libero, he mentioned with his prep, if he noticed a setter didn't really trust an outside hitter to hit out of system, you could almost eliminate them out of the game plan in certain situations, right? So how have you been able to stay an option, whether it's off a dig or off serve receive? Does that come down to footwork as well, or is there just a, a variety of shots you've worked on too over the years? I think a lot of out-of-system hitting is footwork just because, you know, out-of-system sets hopefully aren't unpredictable, but, you know, they can be. Um, if you're launching them from the back line, they might not be perfect. So getting yourself in a position where the ball's in front of you and hopefully you can see the blockers a little bit um, so you're not blind to the court is important. Um, yeah, and then having a variety of shots. So, um, you know, high off hands, off the edge, deep corner, you know, having uh, a few little tricky shots, get some tips, get some rolls. Also just knowing who's back there on defense. So say you have a big tall lumbering opposite from I don't know whatever country super tall you know you can take them out by just tipping it over the block or in a bad situation you might just throw it to the setter so they have to be out of system those kind of a combination of all of that can make you a good out of system attacker and how have your shots progressed over the years like was there ever a moment whether it's through club or making the jump from uh, 18u to the national team or the NCAA where you're like wow I used to that shot used to be money and now I'm getting dug or I'm getting stopped. Like, is there ever a situation where you're like, wow, I need to really change what I'm doing? Yeah. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, you know, everyone's watching video there. So they know, you know, what you do in certain situations. So you might have to improvise a little bit. I think, uh, short court is great for learning tricky ways to score. That's one of my favorite games. So, you know, if the ball's tight, wiping off the hands and, you know, trying to fool the defense. One funny thing in university, I think, because we played beach volleyball, is that uh, myself and the other outside who was my beach partner, we would hit like a position four to four cut shot. And I think we were like the only team that would do those and they would score every time. Yeah, just being creative out there. Nice. And was that something your coaches? kind of instilled in you that it's okay to be creative and try fun stuff or did that honestly just come from playing short court and playing as much as you did i think you have to you know prove that you can play regular indoor volleyball first a little bit um (laughs) before you have the absolute freedom to go be creative uh because you know if you try to be creative and you mess up a bunch maybe in the game your coach might not like that too much but Playing short court will definitely uh, inspire some confidence to go execute those shots out there. And just to circle back to what uh, Bree King told us about you and your kind of presence on the court, 
how did you find this this mindset or this work ethic to be elite? Like, what goes into it? Do you enjoy volleyball that much to kind of grind through it the way you have, or what's kind of pulled you through in those moments where you're you're winning eighteen nationals, or you're being recruited, or you're trying to make rosters on the national team? Like, what goes into everything you've accomplished up until this point? Ooh, uh, big question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for me, uh, I've always loved volleyball. I still love volleyball, so it's never really felt too difficult to, you know, wake up at 6 a.m. and walk to practice or anything like that. When I was younger playing sports, my dad would always tell me to go try my best and play with joy, and I, you know, carry that with me to this day. Um, And then learning from my U18 team, we had so many stud athletes that a lot of them are U sports and they're killing it, and they were on the bench for us, and that was just a great example of knowing your role. And so in practice, they would beat us up and then they would, you know, not be upset being on the bench cheering us on. And I really take taken like know your role to me on the national team. So like my first year I started second year, I was kind of the reliable sub. And then now I'm just kind of like, Oh, do you need me? I'm a role player. I'm a service sub. And yeah, of course you're trying to, you know, make a starting roster you're trying to be the best version of yourself you can be but when it's game time and it's like all right here's what you're gonna do here's your job you just go out and do it and don't complain and you know cheer on your teammates yeah there's so many layers that go into that right so yeah where do you find the balance of okay this is my role and i'm gonna do it the best of my ability versus you don't want to accept that you're just a serving sub on your team and you can still work and and be more than that. Right. Because obviously if you're getting subbed in, you're there to make an impact. And I think some people shy away from that because of the role they've been giving or what they identify with. Right. So how have you kind of fit the mold of I'm going to be a professional, I'm going to be a team player and do what they asked me to do, but I'm also working to kind of be with the ones and start. I think uh, having that mindset really relies on having an open channel of communication with your coach Because you can be, you know, wanting that starting position, working your butt off in practice, and you can go up to your coach and explain the situation and say, hey, what do I need to get better at? What skills am I lacking in? What can I do to, you know, improve them so I can get to that position? Um, And usually they'll be pretty honest with you. And then you can take those, you know, little nuggets of information and bring it to practice and work on it and work on it. And I think, you know, putting your head down and doing the work people notice that and uh hopefully you'll be rewarded for it through the improved uh skill or just um you know making a team because you're a great team player or you shag all the balls or set up the nets because you know coaches want those players on their team and i honestly like attribute a lot of my you know quote 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 unquote success um just to you know, being a good teammate. Yeah. Would you say that's something that young athletes need to understand that you, you never get past that little thing that even at the national team, you guys are shagging balls and filling up water bottles. Like you never, it's never beneath you, even though with everything you've accomplished, right? Yeah. That's, that's where I, you know, when young kids ask me about advice, it's like, okay, work hard and always set up the nets, always shag the balls. Like those, those are a reflection of, who you are as a person and how hard you're going to work that day in practice. So 
Awesome. This has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, one thing that I've tried to make a tradition is just having our guests tell a funny story at the end of the episode, whether it be something from the road or something that happened in the gym, just something to show that even though you're at the highest level, that some odd and funny stuff uh, still pops up every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is it's uh, related to volleyball, but it's not necessarily on volleyball. But uh, it always makes me smile when I think of this story. So it was this summer kind of at the beginning of the training block. So everyone's new or like the coaching staff's new, the strength and conditioning staff's new. And for some reason we were all lifting together because normally we lift in two separate groups. Um, and our strength and conditioning coaches were like, Hey, let's go warm up with this fun game outside. So we we're all pumped. Um, cause we love games. And, uh, so the premise was they set up this circle of cones and, it was red t-shirts versus black t-shirts and you needed to pass a ball to your team 10 consecutive times to get a big point. And we were playing the three big points. So, you know, pretty easy, pretty simple game. And then we started the game and just absolute chaos ensued. It was kind of like a mix between like five-year-old soccer where everyone runs towards the ball and rugby. It was just <laughs> a brawl and we're all laughing and just destroying each other. And it probably went on for like five minutes before our Tavis and Cody called it because it was just so aggressive. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I took some elbows, like everyone probably would have got injured if we played for another 10 minutes. And <laughs> I mean, we we're all very warm and sweaty at the end of it. So it did, it just did its job, but it was like a volley brawl. Like it was the craziest thing I've witnessed and, so much fun at the same time. Uh, I'm glad they had uh, the foresight to shut that down because I can only imagine explaining that to the coaches. Yeah, sorry, uh, these three players are down for practice today because uh, warm-up got a little intense today. Yeah, totally. I'm really thankful no one got injured. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can see why you were recommended for the show. Thanks for coming on and sharing everything you did, and thanks for coming on the show, and best of luck with everything you've got on the go now. Thank you so much. Love following the show and best of luck to this podcast.